He who saves one life saves the world entire. And the most important life to save is your own. After all, it's the place where you have the most power. So join shadow worker and trauma therapist Laura Giles each week on It's Not You, It's Me. We'll uncover what's in shadow and learn the things you need so you can heal yourself, grow yourself, know yourself, love yourself, be yourself, and share yourself. If you're sick and tired of being sick and tired, it's time to drop the self-sabotage and limiting beliefs. A healthy, abundant, connected life is an option. Choose it. Subscribe. And let's start manifesting it. The single most important thing that you can learn to do in this lifetime is to let it go. Let go of grudges, grief, brokenheartedness, and all the things that people told you that weren't true that led to low self-esteem, all the things that help you to create a version of yourself that isn't true. Letting go is like purification. When we let go of the day, at the end of the day, we live like puppies and babies. No matter what happens to them, it's like they have no memory. Each day is a new day and they meet it full of enthusiasm and wonder. They let every day be a surprise. And if it's not a great day, they let go of that and start again. The world is always moving from empty to full, new to old, good to bad and back again. When we hold on to stuff, we stop that process and we stop living. So living fully means letting things go. Hi, I'm Laura Giles. Thank you for joining me on Let It Go Now. That's the message of every episode because that's truly how to live a vibrant, alive, authentic existence. Life is not about accumulating wealth, safety, or experiences, but if you look around at the way that we Westerners do it, that's what you would think. Lots of kids don't have to do any work around the house so they can focus on their schoolwork and sports. And they do this so that they can get a good school and then get into a high paying career so they can be comfortable and avoid all the hard things in life. Maybe little Johnny wants to wear pink Crocs with green striped pants and a polka dot shirt. But mom says, no, you have to wear the designer clothes so you don't get made fun of. Since Johnny loves and trusts mom, he thinks that he's doing it wrong and learns to not trust himself. He learns how to conform. Dad doesn't understand why Janie wants to play with Legos and read books. He wants her to dance and play piano and can't disguise his disappointment when she has no aptitude for that. So Janie ends up thinking that there must be something wrong with her. This is the type of stuff I'm talking about letting go of. We all have so much of this garbage. We might pick it up because our parents drill things into us over and over, or it might happen in one offhand remark. Most of it we're not even aware that we're carrying. Our baggage just becomes a part of our identity. So when we wake up every day feeling anxious or depressed and don't really know why, those feelings just become another way that we convince ourselves that something is wrong with us. What's wrong is that we've taken on too many supposed tos and shoulds that aren't even real. We've contorted ourselves into a caricature. We have to let those things go. Underneath that programming, is an amazing, authentic person who has so much life inside to share. And I'm asking you to let that baggage go and let that woman or man out. The cool thing is everything can be learned. And I learned how to do this from my mom. I grew up in it. 
She was my example every day of my life. I always knew she was cool, but it wasn't until I was sharing my story with someone else that I realized just how cool she is. I think everyone's first love is their mom, and my mom was no different. I thought she was the prettiest, most amazing person in the world. I wanted to be just like her. I used to try on her clothes so I could imagine what it was like to be in her skin. I sat in her closet inhaling her scent. She was a stay-at-home mom, so anytime I needed her, she was there. But I didn't really ask her for much. I grew up with what's called free-range parenting today and what some view as neglectful, but really it was an experience of living in trust. And we could trust because I only knew of one woman on the street who worked. Every house had someone at home looking out the window who would either handle it if I was out of line or would tell my parents and let them handle it. So we looked out for each other. My mom's from a third world country. She grew up in a tribal society where life was hard, close to nature and very connected. Everyone looked out for each other and nature provided. So there's a high degree of trust. And when you blend trust with responsibility, things go really well. From the time that she was a toddler, she had to grow her own food and provide for very basic things that she needed like clothes. If she didn't, she'd go without. So she learned responsibility. Now, I've been to the third world with others enough to know that one of the first things that a Westerner thinks when they see this is, oh my God, how terrible, I have to give these poor people some money in the comforts that I have. But I think that's the very thing that erodes the peace and harmony that indigenous people have. It destroys the very thing that Westerners go to these places to experience. My mom didn't and doesn't know lack. She's the least judgmental person that I know. You know, suffering really does come from your mind. And if you think you're poor, you are. They all lived hand to mouth. And some days you have enough to eat and some days you don't. There's never extra and you can't hold on to it anyways because someone would steal it. So enjoy what you have while you have it and share it and be grateful is how she rolls. She never thought of herself as poor. Her mind still doesn't work that way. It just was the way it was. You might think that this would change once her fortunes changed, but it really didn't. She's generous. If she has it, she gives it. Lots of indigenous cultures value generosity and see the one who dies with nothing because he's given it all away as the richest person, the biggest person. And she's from that mindset. And it's not even a loss in her mind. She doesn't keep score. She really is one of the most mindful people that I know. All time is now. If someone did something wrong, you never hear about it again. I don't think she has any grudges, but she does keep track of what she owes and will always pay. She lives in a community with other elders, and in the pre-plastic days, they would borrow small amounts of money from each other for convenience. It's like if I'm at the store on the property and I don't have cash, you give it to me and I'll get it back to you when I see you next. And she was always known to pay. She never forgot or delayed. And once when she was back home and was very poor, a shopkeeper gave her something on credit that she couldn't repay. When she came to America and had money to spend, she paid him back. It was a small amount, and I'm sure they long gave up on getting that money back. But she keeps a clean slate. If she owes, she pays. And if she does something wrong, she makes amends. If she takes, she gives. It's all very balanced. She lives a very debt-free life. And I'm not talking about money. It's that too, but karmic debt. I'm 100% sure that it's not something she thinks about. It just happens as a result of a habit of living in sync with nature. 
I was on the balcony the other morning doing my breath work. I'm in my zone and it began to rain. I wasn't expecting it. And instead of getting upset about having my session interrupted and making it ruin my day like some people might, I smiled and enjoyed the warm summer blessing from the skies. That's what I'm talking about. She lives in that sense of surprise and wonder at what the next moment will bring without expecting or wanting it to be different. She's the most natural person that I've ever seen. And by natural, I mean pure, savage, not artificial, and as humans are designed to be. If she's tired, she sleeps. When she's hungry, she eats. If she doesn't want to be bothered, she will excuse herself or just not be available. She's never studied Buddhism, but she's the most Buddhist person I've ever seen. She's not into self-development and doesn't think about enlightenment or self-improvement. She doesn't meditate. But if you live mindfully, you don't have to do any of those things because the act of living in the moment gives you all the teaching and self-correction that you need. Life is a teacher. Nature is your teacher. Just pay attention. My mom is curious. She reads a ton, but she's not an intellectual. If you ask her a question, she's probably going to give you a very simple Forrest Gump type answer. She doesn't overthink anything. Another astounding way that she shows up is that my mom has a fully sensory memory with incredible recall. She remembers things as pictures with sound, taste, and smells. My belief is that we become conscious and begin to remember when we choose to commit to our physical existence and lose the tether to the other world. So for most of us, that's between the ages of three and five. My mom remembers things from when she was pre-verbal. The first time I had a fully sensory memory that I could recall at will with all the senses intact was not that long ago, maybe 10 years ago. You can't recall what you don't experience. And I'm rarely that present with my whole being in the way that she is on a daily basis. Now, it might be sounding like I'm making her out to be a saint. She's a real person. She gets angry, but her anger is quick to show and quick to die. She doesn't hold on to anything. And it's rare that she's emotional. She's pretty even keel most of the time. She doesn't put herself on a pedestal. She won't put you on one either. And she also doesn't allow others to put her down. She's super grounded. She knows who she is and knows her place and has nothing to do with social constructs around money or stuff. She exudes an attitude of I belong and you belong. Maybe this is why people really like her. Everywhere she goes, she stands out. People know her by name and like her. They look out for her. And she's not like a big personality who's loud and demonstrative. She can laugh with all of her heart and soul, but she's pretty self-contained and chill most of the time. This was true when she was a child, too. She's told me some stories that would make my hair stand on end. (laughs) She has put herself in situations that I would say are dangerous. But it's like she has this bubble of safety around her that follows her wherever she goes because she trusts. That's so meaningful. And it can't be put on. If it's fake, it'll backfire. Have you ever seen the movie Mall Flanders? There's two versions that I know of, and they're very different. I'm talking about the Robin Wright version. In that movie, Maul's like this. She's natural and self-conscious and giving. Maul's mother was imprisoned when she was pregnant with Maul and was hanged after giving birth. So Maul was reared in a church orphanage. She stabs a priest with a knitting needle when he tries to fondle her and runs away. She ends up being taken in um, by this comfortable couple 
who believe in um, doing for people who have less. They start cultivating her to learn art, music, and how to set a table, and the things that refined ladies do. One of the things that they do is charitable works. In those days, it's fashionable to take a basket of food to the poor or serve in ways that you could because the feudal system had collapsed and the poor were seen as a threat to a stable society. It was also about just being a good Christian. Anyway, they go to a prison to give bread to the inmates on Christmas and Maul's goodness draws attention. They're all doing good works, but Maul's efforts are coming from her heart. And this is an energy that everyone can feel. The daughters of the house are jealous. They don't want to be outshone by a girl from the streets, but it happens again. They plot to demonstrate their superior qualities over dinner. And they play a beautiful song, one on the piano, the other on the violin. Maul is so moved that she gets up and dances with such freedom and abandon that she steals the spotlight. Again, it's not contrived. It's just her being unselfconscious and real. And it stabs the sisters in the heart. They can't take it. They have to one-up her. So they sell their Christmas jewels and go into a rough area of town to give money to the needy and end up being raped. And I bring this up to illustrate that my mom is like Maul Flanders. But if you're like the two daughters, you may only see the superficial stuff and think it's a paint by number that you, if you do this and that, you'll get the same vibe and outcome. If you do that, you're missing the point. There are underlying things that I think people who shine have in common, but it's not about what they're doing, but why they're doing it. Mom's just being herself. She's leading with their heart. And that's what my mom does. That's who she is. My mom doesn't have the rhythm and grace that most people would find applause worthy. But when she dances, she dances with her whole heart. I had my first birthday party when I was 13. And back then you didn't get a birthday party for every birthday. And there wasn't a party to go to every month, at least not in the circles that I traveled in. So this was a big deal. Everybody was there. It was a giant hit that people talked about years later and still sometimes comes up among me and my friends. My mom left us all downstairs in the basement to do our thing. And I went upstairs, maybe to go to the bathroom or something. And there she is with my big sister and my best friend's cousin dancing. My sister's got on some satin disco pants and they're doing some dance fever moves. <laughs> and I'm in shock. So we took everybody down to the basement to dance together. And all my friends were dying. Those who didn't already know my mom fell in love with her. We had the Kool-Aid house, minus the Kool-Aid. We didn't drink Kool-Aid growing up, but everyone was at our house. It was an open door to anyone. This wasn't just my mom. My dad was like this too. I have a lot of brothers and sisters, so there were always tons of kids at my house and always something going on. I didn't realize this at the time, but we took in strays. Some of my friends were in neglectful homes, so they stayed at my house a lot rather than going home. I thought we were just hanging out, but I can look back now and see that it was more than that. It was a safe place. I do that now. Ever since I had my own household, Thanksgiving is a time of sharing with those who have nowhere to go. When I lived in an area where there was a military base, it would usually be servicemen and women who weren't going home. And sometimes those would be complete strangers that I didn't even meet until that day. When I had a meetup group, it would sometimes be someone who was new to town and was far from family. We once hosted this guy who was either from China or Thailand and had never done a Thanksgiving before. 
My mom still remembers him and asks me almost every Thanksgiving if he's coming to dinner. I didn't know that guy from Adam, but that's how we roll. If I have, you have. And if I'm having a good time, I want to share that with you. This is why I started facilitating spiritual travel. I think that's the best way to experience what I'm talking about. It's an energy. And if you've never had it, talking about it is very superficial. You really can't get it until you experience it. And even then, you still might not really get it. In the beginning, I thought sacred travel was about the places. The places matter. Each place is a power place that's easy to feel and connect with. Each place helps you to balance your energies and feel what's inside. But in the beginning, once I left, the incredible high would diminish after a while and I have to go back uh, to get it again. I wasn't really getting that it's not about the place. It's about what I'm bringing to the place. And that part is always there. So I'm telling you all of these things because I'm not unique. My mom's not unique. I think my gigantic advantage is that I grew up with her as a role model day in and day out. I think her massive advantage is that she grew up in a culture of this. She's animist. And if you know me from Pan Society, you know that I'm animist. I don't just talk about stuff. In fact, a lot of what I do is unconscious and I don't think about it at all. It's only when people ask me questions that I think about it, dig deep inside to construct a way to talk about it, that it even becomes conscious at all. To ask me questions, think about your most pressing issue and write it in the comments. Another thing that makes all this visible is stories. My mama's old and I'm aware that my time with her is slipping away and there's still so much that she has to teach me. So every time I see her, I ask her to tell her stories. The content of the stories don't really matter as much as the time we spend connecting. They also don't matter as much as the context that they give me to make conscious what I've seen in her my whole life. My mom's kind of scary. She doesn't observe the social conventions that a lot of people do. This makes her a little unpredictable. If she's done talking with you, she's out of here. No apologies or excuses. She's just done. If you're messing with her kids or anyone small, she's vicious. She won't jump in on a fight that you could handle yourself. When we were little, my siblings and I were always scrapping and wrestling, sometimes for fun, sometimes not. My mom never got in the middle of that. She made us figure out our own stuff. But if it was an outsider bullying or overstepping, she was there before I could think. She's so spontaneous and in the moment. I don't think I've ever heard her apologize for anything. Typically, that would not be a good thing. People need to take responsibility for their stuff. So I'm not talking about that. It's more like she's just always in a space of acceptance and now. If she's done something, she'll write it before there is even any sense of imbalance. I'm still trying to figure out how she does that. I'm not really sure. But there's this constant sense of order around her that makes her a very safe person to be with. I've never felt judged or less than in my family. It, I've never felt ashamed. Well, no, <laughs> I have once. Uh, that wasn't my mom, though. That was my dad. My brother and I were in this store, and he asked me to hold his toy. So I put it in my pocket. A little while later, he gave me another one. Now I'm starting to catch on that he's stealing. I didn't recognize the first toy, but I didn't think too much of it. I definitely didn't recognize the second one, but there wasn't even time to react. We got busted and the store detective called my parents over the loudspeaker. Oh my God, I was so embarrassed. 
I had to look them in the face and live with what I had done. And when we got home, I thought I was going to get tore up. My dad didn't lecture me. He didn't shame me. He asked me what I was thinking. I don't really remember the conversation at all, but I remember the feelings. I felt like letting my dad down was one of the worst experiences of my life. And I never wanted to be a disappointment in his eyes. I never wanted to feel outside of his good graces. He must have seen that in my eyes because that was the end of the conversation. He knew he didn't have to do anything more. It was righted. I was back in alignment with my values, and he was right. That was never an issue again, nor was anything remotely like it ever an issue. My parents are really supportive. They trusted me. They let me lead myself. The rules were firm, fair, and consistent, and my parents worked as a team. I've only ever seen my parents fight once, ever, and they're divorced, so that's saying something. They've always been a team. I learned by example to honor my parents and parenthood in general. The big picture is we're a family, and this is sacred space. This is sanctuary. If you get sloppy with that, your whole life is going to look like a leaky boat that is in danger of sinking. There's certain responsibilities to belonging, and you have to honor the people that you share space with as well as honor the space itself. When I started going to school, I think one of the reasons why I was so shy as a kid is that I didn't see that structure when I left home. People were an enigma to me. I didn't understand why they did what they did. It didn't make sense. At home, things were logical, predictable, harmonious, and natural. Outside was a free-for-all. It wasn't until I went to my first psychology class that I realized that there was an order in the madness as well and that people still had needs and still wanted the same things, but because of a lack of structure, skills, and safety, they were just not being very effective at meeting those needs. If I can't say no for fear of rejection, I'm gonna get run over a lot. We were allowed to have our own opinions in my house. My dad was on the debate team in college and loved a lively conversation and still does. He wanted to know why we thought what we thought. So we learned how to back up what we were saying, stand for something and back down when we were wrong. We also learned how to agree to disagree. It wasn't really about being right. It was more about, did you think this through? If I can't speak up for fear of being kicked out of the tribe, I'm also gonna keep a lot inside. That was never a thought in my childhood. Both my parents are fiercely pro-family, not in a you-can-do-no-wrong, codependent kind of way, but in a no-matter-what-this-is-your-family kind of way. Like in every family, there are some shady characters in my family. Everybody knows who they are, and it's up to each of us to create boundaries that we feel comfortable with. And those people still belong. You can't get kicked out of the island. We are the island. We're inseparable. That might sound dysfunctional and clannish from the outside looking in, and I don't mean it that way at all. It's more of an awareness that I'm a part of you. You're a part of me. And to deny you is to deny me. And it's that way with every human. It's just a matter of degree. It's also that way with all of nature. It's just a matter of degree. Family is the closest in blood, and if your family is straight, the rest of your relationships are probably in better shape too. I think humans are the hardest thing to have relationships with in some ways because we're all, we all want different things. We believe differently. 
the relationships are more dynamic and responsive. So if I do something that negatively impacts you, I feel it more immediately. If I do something that negatively impacts my flowers, I can see the impact of it, but it doesn't feel the same way. Flowers are not humans. Flowers and humans don't experience the world the same, but all people do. But whether your relationship with nature or humans is stronger, I think having a good relationship with one can foster a great relationship with the other. I don't really see nature as separate, so it's funny to be speaking of humans as if we're different. I don't think we are. I hope I'm not conveying that. It's just the limits of English, or maybe the limits of my usage of it. And if you see yourself as separate, that'll show up in how you interact with the world. My mom grew up with a garden. Plants are life and medicine, and she's always planting stuff somewhere. She just fills the space with life, and it doesn't even matter if she's going to eat it. It's like Johnny Appleseed. She'll plant food somewhere for someone else to eat it, so that it's just an option. She used to live across the street from this gas station, and they had this little strip of uncultivated space underneath a street lamp. She planted tomatoes there. I've never heard either of my parents gossip. They don't care what other people are doing and don't care what other people think about what they're doing. Just imagine how much easier life is when you don't play in other people's garbage. When she talks, it's because she has something to say. And if she doesn't have anything to say, she's silent. She doesn't have to fill the space. So she's super easy to be around. When we were little, we had the most amazing grapes in the backyard. I caught the neighbor boy jumping the fence and stealing the grapes, so I told my mom, And she was like, leave that boy alone and let him eat. (laughs) And I was like, well, all right. (laughs) She sees and respects boundaries, so it's not like the fence has no meaning for her. But the greater value is that if someone is hungry, feed them. She lives by values, not by rules. So we show up in everything we do. If your heart is peaceful, there's trust. If you live in fear, you'll see a lot of control and armoring. And like the girls in Mall Flanders, that will bring unpleasant surprises because your heart, mind, and gut have to be in alignment. If they're not, you'll make choices that aren't effective. So I'm not saying that my mom is perfect or her life is problem-free. I don't know what her internal environment is like. I can only speak for the outside and tell you how people respond to her. And people are good to her. They look out for her. They give her a lot of leeway and trust her. And I can share that my experience of life is one of abundance, safety, blessings, and ease. I've not had the common problems that other people have. I don't think that I'm special or blessed. I think that I paid attention to the examples I was given and adopted healthy habits that work. I live for my values. I think everybody can learn this. My mom's indigenous. She's animist. I am too. I'm seeing a lot of people jumping on the shamanism, animism bandwagon who are missing the forest for the trees. You can absolutely do this as a devout Christian or even atheist because it's not about labels. We're all humans. It's not about practices or rituals. All that's fine if it gives you a structure and a container, but if it gets too rigid and codified or if it becomes about chasing peak experiences or making you feel like you're above other people, you will lose sight of the important things. And that is integrity and authenticity. If you're in integrity with yourself, there's no way to be out of alignment with nature and everything else. It's all connected. So you can't cheat one person to gain something for yourself. The scales don't balance. 
You can't lie. Lies are lies to yourself. We're all one. And what you know, on some level, the universe knows. You can't be out of love with yourself unless you're not conscious. You are love. If you can't see the love in me, you won't be able to see it in yourself. Not because I'm particularly fabulous, but because we're all a mirror for each other. So look in the mirror. See the love. See it in the golden rays of the sunrise. The worms that wiggle out after a hard rain. The honking of horns in an exhaust-filled rush hour afternoon. It's everywhere. And if your childhood didn't have the things I talked about, and it makes it hard to imagine, it's okay. You can start now by surrounding yourself with the brightest people that you know. These are actual people, not virtual ones, ideally. We're the average of the five people we spend the most time with, so upgrade. If you need a new crew, I have a private group in our Let It Go Now community who are cultivating what I'm talking about. Check the show notes for more on that. If you have that one friend who is a wreck and you just don't want to let go of her because she's your ride or die, that's fine. Find three or four more to balance things out because naughty girls need love too. The other thing you can do is hang out with me. If you have ever had an aha moment where you've heard of something or thought you understood it and then something happens and it clicks on a whole different level, this is why I'm saying you have to experience the safety and authenticity to really get it. It's not something that you can always see from the outside. I would imagine that to some people, my mom looks like an eccentric or a freak. I mean, she's planting tomatoes at the gas station. You've got to go beneath the surface and savor the experience. So there's lots of ways to hang out with me. For starters, you can become a member of my community where you can ask questions, share your journey with me and others. Let us know how you're doing. Practice being seen. In person is better. I'm always doing some type of workshop, gathering, retreat, or tour. So just check out the website for what's happening now. Another thing you can do uh, is get to know your parents and yourself to find the light of truth and authenticity in your family and yourself. Last Father's Day, I created the Story Keepers Journal as a gift to my father, but I think it was more a gift to myself. So the book is for getting to know the stories that shaped your people or yourself. It's a way of seeing into the mirror to create understanding, compassion, and relationship. Their story is your story. You are them. They are you. Get to know the good stuff. It gives you strength and pride that makes your roots strong. And I want to close with one more thought. If you listen to what I said about my childhood and are feeling sad because you didn't have that, there are two things to remember. The first is that my childhood didn't stop undesirable things from happening. It just made it easier to cope. So everyone has their garbage. It's just different garbage. And bigger than that, no matter where you came from, you have what it takes to shine right now. My mom's exceptional because she came with little garbage, picks up little garbage and cleans it up before it can accumulate. But that light that she shines belongs to everybody. You have it too. All right. The link for the Story Keepers Journal is on the website at letitgonow.net. Just click the store link and you can find that and any other products that I've mentioned in the podcast there. Hope you enjoy it. See you guys next week. It's such a pleasure. And until then, let that stuff go. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help the podcast thrive, please share it with others. 
post about it on social media, or leave a rating and review. To catch all the latest from Laura Giles, you can follow her on all her socials at Laura Giles 804. See you next time.